Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. We'd like to say a special hello to our number one fan. You know who you are, and now I know you're listening. Wow, this just got awkward. <laughs> Love you! Uh, today we'll be discussing The Golden Dynasty by Kristen Ashley. Cersei wakes up, not in her bedroom in Seattle, but in a completely different world. A world filled with violence, barbaric warriors, and magic. Doc Slan, king of the Korwak Horde, takes one look at Cersei and knows she is to be his golden queen and that together they will fulfill the legend of the Golden Dynasty. Lon quickly captures Cersei and forces her to be his queen. In this primitive land with a completely different language and culture, Cersei learns she must embrace her own warrior spirit to survive. We have a content warning for this book. This story has graphic violence, including sexual violence, rape, domestic abuse, and slavery. Sensitive readers should also be cautioned that the hero rapes and strikes the heroine. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So, M, tell me about Cersei. So, initially, we are introduced to Cersei in, well, there's the prologue where she's running in fear, which is always a good way to start. Yes. But the chapter begins with her waking up in an animal pen, a primitive animal pen, and she's getting leered at by, by men she doesn't recognize. Although, if she recognized them, I'm not really sure that would have been better. And, <laughs> <laughs> awkward. Um, Leering is never good. No, it never gives you that, you know, lovely feeling, that warm and protected feeling. And so she's very quick to refer to the the men that she can see as savage. It's a primitive culture. She refers to it as kind of Gilligan's Island. So maybe also a little bit tropical. She befriends a girl whose name is Narinda. And from Narinda, she learns what's going on and of course it's not good so every every so long i don't know if it's every year um the the horde in this land of korwak uh rounds up all the most beautiful women in their land and also have scouts that capture beautiful women from other lands to participate in the wife hunt and this is where they set them loose all these beautiful women set them loose to run and the men chase them and claim one for their bride. And so the Dax, who is their king, has been on the hunt, so to speak, for a wife. Although not really, he has opted not to claim anyone. And Norinda warns her that we must, you know, we must protect you from the king. He cannot see your golden hair because apparently that's special well she's the only one who's blonde anywhere that she can see i think yeah i guess and they they already in this culture have a hold gold or something of that color as a high regard yay yeah they have a thing for gold lovely some of the women in the pen like the ones that look like the men like the same you know brown skin and darker hair and stuff some of them look like they're excited Cersei and Narinda are both fair-skinned and foreign, so the women that look more foreign are scared. Yeah, I think Narinda, if I remember correctly, she's Valyrian or speaks Valyrian. So she would be from, I guess, the same area that Finny first visited. 
Yeah, I think so. Well, they get paraded down the street on the way or down like a path on the way to get claimed. Sweet little Narinda is trying to help protect Cersei. Yeah, sweet little Narinda with her creepy smile. I don't. Yeah, her weird little smile. Yeah, it just makes Narinda sound a little bit odd. I attributed. <laughs> I thought so too. Attributed that to like her fear, but maybe I don't, I don't think Cersei really interprets it that way. But also, I think it's important to note that Cersei was very into just accepting this is true. You know, she's like, I am not dreaming. This is real. I think she got confused with dreaming and what is lucid dreaming, where you control it. Mm. Because in dreaming, you don't necessarily know that you're dreaming. And for some reason, that is how she knows that she's in a real world. I don't know. The logic doesn't hold up for me. At any rate, she is, as she says repeatedly, freaked the fuck out. Which, if that did actually happen to someone, it would be very freaky. So, Yeah, I don't blame her. No, no blame. As they're parading, she does catch the eye of Daxlon. He looks right at her. Dun, dun, dun. And she realizes, uh-oh, I should not have looked back over my shoulder. Which is a little strange to me why Narinda was cautioning her so much as to not get the king's attention. Because if she is in a world that she's not supposed to be in, wouldn't you want to get the higher authority? Like, I'm not supposed to be here. The Dax is like known as the most barbaric and powerful and scary guy in all of Korwak. So that's probably why Narenda cautioned her. She's like, uh, you know, you should hope that you get captured by a warrior who under his hard demeanor is kind. And I kind of think Narenda doesn't believe that the docs is kind. That's probably true. So the hunt has begun. And of course, there's murder and sex and chaos. Like as Cersei is running around in the dark, and I think there's some level of storm going on. Feels very chaotic. She can hear sounds of fighting. She can hear sounds of sex. It's just she's scared. She's running. She's just trying to get away. Uh, She's wearing a metal necklace. Each guy that tries to claim her then puts his quote-unquote hook in her necklace. Now she's chained to him. It sounds like quite the sport. And so eventually she runs into a big warrior dude who's got a scar on him and he actually kills the guy that had gotten his chain on her first. This, I think it's important to note, is it's actually not a forbidden thing for them to do, kill each other over women. It's it's frowned upon. You're not supposed to. It's a no-no. But it's a no-no that that is acceptable. They They understand that sometimes you can get caught up in the heat of the moment. Exactly. So the guy who we will then learn is not named Scar, although that would be convenient, is named Dortok. <laughs> and uh. and he's all he's all happy. He, you know, he he's got the the pretty blonde lady. He's so thrilled. However, riding up on a horse is the Dax, the king. And he's not having any of this. So he does what is forbidden, which is to cut Dortak's chain, thus freeing Cersei. And Cersei, to her credit, when she is freed, decides, <laughs> I'm out of here, and runs. She fights the Dax. At one point, she even disarms him 
and tries to stab him with his own knife, but he catches her wrist before she can. Yes, he has never up until this point in all of his however many years, I'm not actually sure how old he is, ever been disarmed. You know, it's he's one of those guys. And she is able to do it, so good for her. Now the claiming happens, which is, <laughs> when they say claim, they mean rape. And right when that happens, a huge flash of lightning lights up the sky foreshadowing things like that will be important later yes weather is a big deal narinda told cersei that after all the brides are claimed they get paraded naked through the street during the wedding rites and presented to the dax and so cersei is worried she's gonna have to be paraded naked through the street but instead she gets taken to a tent called a cham there are these ladies at the cham that dress her up all in gold and give her back to the Dax. The Dax brings her up to the front. There's his throne, and there's also a white small throne next to it now. He has her sit in the throne, and he presents her to his horde, to his kingdom, as his golden queen, which is a big deal. Yeah, and keep in mind, she is pretty confused at this point, not just because of what she has endured, but they also speak a completely different language. Right. She has no idea what's going on, aside from what Narinda has told her. Yeah, so it's a lot of inference, a lot of questioning, things like that. He presents her to his kingdom as queen. The thought in her head is, well, at least I'm not naked. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you gotta look for the silver lining. <laughs> At least, you know, my tits aren't hanging out. And so she sits there while the warriors each bring up their bride in front of them on the horse, uh, completely naked. And when Narinda gets brought up in front of her, Narinda is like, I'm okay. And so Cersei feels a little bit better about that. But then the cruel warrior whose chain had gotten severed brings up his his wife and he's really horrible. Oh, yeah. He violates her right in front of king, queen, country. He doesn't care. And he's upset that, you know, Cersei was taken away from him. Yeah, he's touching her sexually in front of everybody. The girl doesn't like it. Yeah, Cersei tries to say stop and intervene. And the Dax kind of is telling her no because... That's just not their culture. That's not what she's allowed to do. She's not allowed to say, no, no, don't violate this woman right in front of me. She turns to the Dax and pleads with him, please, please stop him. And he stares at her. And then he turns to Dortak and he says, my queen doesn't like this. So you need to stop. And Dortak says, Fuck you. <laughs> Basically. The Dax says, fuck me? Dortak is like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> and the Dax picks him up by the throat and throws him down the steps. He doesn't die, unfortunately. No, no. More from him later. Yeah. But he's basically, the Dax is basically showing Dortak and everyone that... If his queen doesn't like something, then they need to take her order. Yes, her opinion matters. Yeah, Cersei doesn't necessarily see that the same way Lon sees it. He's making a really big statement at this point because 
typically wives are are not equal to their husbands. Fast forward three days in the story, and it's Cersei and Lon at night, and he's continuing the claiming, if you will. She basically wants to die. She's not happy with the world, unsurprisingly. Yeah, he rapes her twice a day. Yeah. For yeah. three days. She she wants to get zapped home. She doesn't know how she got to this hellhole, but she can't get back because she doesn't know how she got here in the first place. She is the very example of being stuck. And the women who've been keeping her clean and dressing her and feeding her and all this stuff are starting to get really worried. They end up bringing uh, someone who speaks her language to talk to her. Yes, they bring in Deandra, who speaks Valerian, which is the language that Cersei speaks, which we would call English, of course. Deandra tells Cersei what's up. She's like, I was like you once. I was captured. I was brought to the wife hunt and wed to a warrior. And I've had to learn all of this, just like you're dealing with now. And you need to understand that this is how things are here. This is their culture. And if you don't roll with the punches, then the Dax will have to renounce you as his queen. And things will be very, very, very bad for you and for your slaves. Because it turns out that the women helping Cersei in her tent are, are her slaves, her personal slaves. And she says the slaves will get raped and murdered and Cersei will get raped and exiled, basically. And so Cersei, she's so gone at this point. She doesn't care about herself, but she does care about the women, her slaves. She cares about them. She doesn't want them to get murdered or killed. Yeah, so Cersei basically decides to get out of bed, which <laughs> is good. Yeah, I suppose. And I wanted to mention a little bit about slavery. I don't know how exactly to say this, but in this culture, there, there's a lot of slavery. You know, they're, they're taken as slaves from neighboring countries that they've been at war with. Some of them are born into slavery. It seems to be predominantly women, too. Yeah, it's predominantly women. There are women who are basically sex slaves. Yeah, the Zocto. There are women who are... Um, more like handmaiden type slaves. And initially, Cersei hates this idea. She doesn't want slaves. But aside from being kind to her slaves throughout the story, she kind of just accepts that slaves are a thing. Yeah, she doesn't do anything in the way of, quote unquote, breaking the chains, like setting them free or ending slavery as part of a practice in Korowak or anything like that. Right. And on one hand, I get it because she doesn't necessarily have the power to do that. But on the other hand, it's it's one of those things, like many of the things in the culture, it seems like Cersei becomes used to it. I, I don't even, maybe she doesn't accept it, but she definitely becomes used to it. That's accurate. And just lets it, lets it be. So... Dorinda tells Cersei she needs to go out among the people and let the people see her. Yeah, because people are starting to talk negatively about Dax Lon, King Lon. And we, of course, can't have that because, and politically that does make sense because if enough people start talking bad about Lon, there could be an uprising of some kind. And if he falls from power, nothing good will come for her. <laughs> 
Right. And the way power is passed on in Korwak is pretty uh, brutal. The old king is defeated by the new king in battle. In fact, that's what happens to Lon's dad. Yes. See, Lon's dad got killed by the king prior to Lon. And then when Lon got strong enough, he killed that king. And that's why he's Dax now. But Lon has proclaimed that Cersei is the Golden Queen, which is a legend that they have in that nation, that there will be a king who is so mighty he can never be beaten and he will be married to the golden queen who has magic and and great beauty and together they will start the golden dynasty and so basically lon is making a political statement by saying that cersei is his golden queen he's saying that he is starting a dynasty and the next ruler after him will be his child not the way it's always been done. Exactly. And he starts that statement right away, which is after the claiming, he drapes her in gold, which is unheard of. And Cersei goes out among the people and goes shopping. Yeah, something she loves to do and does a lot. But that night she gets home and she's decided she's going to talk at least as much as she can with Lon. Yeah, she wants to get some things straight about her treatment But he's, of course, not really receptive. She challenges him and he he is into it. He likes it. He's I think up until this point, he's been raping her because it's culturally his due. And he wanted her to fight back. Like, that's what she did in the claiming. Like, she fought him and he was into that. Yeah, because one of the reasons he liked her so well is that she had a warrior spirit, which he could see in her eyes. She's trying to talk to him and communicate with him and and stuff. And he gets into it and he starts, I think for him, he's wrestling with her, you know, like playfully wrestling. But for her, she's fighting. Yeah, he's very physically dominant, very physical in general. Like he'll pull her around different places and things yeah, like that. Yeah, and she scratches him, which really gets him happy. And then he starts pleasuring her because... I guess at this point, he's like, you know, she's earned it. I don't know. He's into her claws. It's kind of it's kind of his thing. He keeps bringing up her claws. Don't hide your claws from me. Unsheath your claws. And part of it is her actually scratching him. But part of it is just her, her arguing with him, her being assertive with him. He makes her orgasm and then they have sex and she likes it good for her at this point she feels like she shouldn't like it but she does yeah like i said good for her (laughs) yeah so the next day happens and lon goes off to do kingly things and cersei's sort of left her own devices because literally what else does she have to do she gets very excited about all of her kick-ass clothes that becomes a running theme the clothes are constantly kick-ass just embrace it (laughs) don't fight it just go with it. Yeah, she talks to Deandra the next morning that the people are starting to believe that she is the Golden Queen because they could hear her challenging him in the tent that night. They could hear them having sex. Apparently this is great because now the people will accept her more. And thus accept Lon more. They'll be less likely of an uprising. Yeah. And Lon tells Cersei that they're having a gathering that night and she's going to be with him. It's a celebration, um, like after they all get wives. 
Oh, so during the day, of course, she and Cersei and Deandra go shopping. Big surprise. Because that's what women do. Uh, but to be fair, literally, what else does she have to do? There's there's nothing, I guess, except lounge around the bed and wait for Lon <laughs> to come home. That's true. And Deandra makes it clear to Cersei, you know, you need to go out and spend Lon's money because his people will be grateful for it. Exactly. They will want attention from the crown, so to speak. So go out and spend, which she does. She gets... And Lon will expect it. Yeah. So she gets some things. She also gets a cute tiger cub, which she names Ghost. We learn also that Cersei is 35. I don't know if that's relevant at all, but we learn it. And so there will be warrior games that night. And so now she's got to go prepare for them. Dax is, of course, not thrilled about the tiger, but he lets that go. I guess he's choosing to pick a battle. I don't know. Yeah, at the shop, Deandra, this whole time has been like, oh yeah, spend his money, buy stuff. But then when she wants to buy the tiger, Deandra's like, <laughs> uh, maybe you should ask Lon about that one. And she goes and gets someone to bring Lon there so Lon can say yes or no to it, basically. And Lon's just like, fine, whatever. You can have a tiger. Oh, well, Lon means tiger, I guess, in their language. He worships the tiger god. He is referred to as the tiger. You'd think it'd be okay. Yeah, and he calls Cersei his tigress. Exactly, which is Lana. Or Lasana. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of vowels in her name. I... <laughs> I told you before, I have a fun little game with that in my head. <laughs> Throughout the story, her name gets longer and longer. Like first, <laughs> she's the queen. She's the tigress queen. She's the warrior queen. She's the golden warrior queen. She's the true golden warrior queen. I mean, it just gets longer and longer and longer as the story goes on. Yeah, I think it starts It starts out like as the Ka-Rana Lana Sana. <laughs> and then there's the Doc Sana, which is, of course, queen. So I, I don't know exactly yes. where that gets. So in my head, it gets turned into Rosanna Dana from Texarkana with a banana. Like it just it just becomes this ridiculous. <laughs> string of sounds that i mean and that's the only time that she does that with this language where this repetitive vowel sound it i I don't know why she couldn't have broken it up she does it in other in other elements of the language and it's fine it sounds fine but with that it's just like a runaway train that just cannot be stopped. Yeah, she's the Rana Daxana Lasana Hala, yes. which is the Golden Queen Tigress True. That's what it means. So she's the true Golden Tigress Queen. Yep, with a banana. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I just can't. It's, it's too many of the same sound. I just, I can't. Which I commend Ashley truly for making up a language and everything. I think with this with this book, <laughs> she did way more world building and all of that. I commend her on so many fronts. I really do. Oh, definitely. The language is so interesting. And um, she even has like verbs like that mm-hmm. conjugate and things. Yeah. You know, and in the back of the book, there's a dictionary. So you can, if if you feel motivated, you can go back and forth and find out what they're actually saying at certain points. But as Cersei becomes more embedded in the culture, she learns the language and becomes fluent. And the way um, the author 
shows that I think is really good because at the beginning there's just this language and you're like, I don't know what this means. And then as the story progresses, it slowly goes into, you know, Lon said this in his language and then it's written in English because Cersei knows what he's saying. Yeah, no, I think it's very well done. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a good part of the story, I think, is the the development of this completely alien barbaric culture. Not to mention, as she learns the language more, they communicate better, which I don't know if they... I take that back. I don't know if they necessarily communicate better, but they are clearer when they're communicating with each other. <laughs> I would say that that's accurate. I think so. I think it's hard because Lon is... He's trained, he's been trained from like the age of four or five to be completely impassive and strong and, you know, basically the definition of what we would call toxic masculinity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To show any emotion could mean death, could mean a challenge, could mean pain, could mean, you know, and so he just doesn't. He's super impassive. There are times that he brings Cersei out for political reasons And he just completely ignores her. It's like she's a prop. But then there's other times when they're in private when he's very tender. And as she says, sweet to her. And at one point she even says, out there you're a mighty warrior. But in here you're my, you're my lawn. You're the sweet one. And I think that there's some truth to that. Because he lets his guard down around her. He doesn't do that with anyone else because he can't. Yeah, I think... It's a little carried over also with her even putting herself down for her emotions because she's like, I get, I get so passionate. And then she immediately equates that with stupid. Yes. Yes. She, she talks about how she leads with her heart. Like it's a bad thing, but really she's, she's a perfect foil for Lon because she's this super emotional heart driven character. And Lon is just all up in his own head and he doesn't let any of it out. So they go, Lon takes her to the celebration, the warrior celebration, and they do like mock battles, I guess. It's sort of like a wrestling match, I think Cersei says. Yes. But then Dortat comes in and he brings in his wife. Now, most of the men don't bring in their wives unless their wives have shown themselves to to be worthy of joining in on this men's sort of gathering. And Cersei does show that she's quote worthy because she drinks their hard liquor and doesn't have a problem with it. Like the women of their culture, she cheers for one of the warriors in battle, you know, she's into it and, or, or at that point is into it. And it just shows Lon and everyone else that she's a warrior. Yes. She can sit amongst the guys and participate and it's fine. Like in this, bloody sweaty smelly environment she is just as at home but dortak comes in with his wife who has been severely abused yeah because he's a prince among men and he forces her to perform oral sex on him which cersei doesn't like and she (sighs) it's tricky because dax again stops her from intervening yeah because he's trying to because it's part of that culture like essentially the the warrior husbands can do whatever they like it's it's their business cersei asks lon stop it stop it stop it and at first lon is like no you need to calm down and i think it's important too to note that around this time is when cersei actually starts using the name of lon for him and it's not just dax 
So it's sort of like right. a little more ownership of him for her. I think so. It shows that that relationship yes. is developing. But it becomes clear that Dortak brought his wife in solely to bother Cersei. Oh, yeah. You know, like that's the whole reason he's doing what he's doing. Lon doesn't like that. Yeah, he doesn't appreciate being manipulated, which is essentially what's happening because Dortak knows like, hey, if I work up Cersei enough, Lon will have to do something about it. Right. And Dortak challenges Lon to fight in the ring and Lon accepts it. And that's when he ends up choking him. Dortak was going to cheat. Also, he brought a knife, which was not a thing for this particular type of battle. And Lon takes his own knife and gashes him twice on the face and also on the body. Yeah, like right across the chest or something. Very visual. Then he takes Cersei home. Yeah, he takes her home. And then so the next day, Cersei wakes up, uh, still probably emotionally upset by what happened. But Lon isn't there. Deandra shows up and tells Cersei she's going to be her official interpreter from this point. Deandra's really excited about it because now she's got a position where she is helping out her Dax. She is all about being of service to her king. Yes, Deandra, although she was a foreigner, has fully integrated into the Korwak culture. And she's she's an interesting character because she does a lot of exposition for us. She tells us, you know, she basically explains to us and Cersei what Lon is doing, the reason behind it, and what words mean. She's the one who teaches Cersei the language. She's the one who tells Cersei, you know, basically you just need to deal with it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and become Korwak. And in a lot of ways, she's a really good friend to Cersei. But in some ways, she's kind of like a creepy person hmm. to me. Like she's very, she's very gossipy. Yeah, that's You true. know, and maybe, maybe this is a cultural thing too for the Korwak. But she, there are points later when um, Cersei's friend group grows and she has more female friends that she visits with. And they, it's, it's clear that Deandra discusses like the sex life of Cersei and Lon <laughs> with others. Yes, she volunteers that up real quick for entertainment. Yeah, the questions that Cersei has asked her are just open season while she's loyal, she's loyal to Cersei, and she doesn't share this with just anyone, just the people who are in the in-group, as it were. But she doesn't allow Cersei any agency either. Yeah. Cersei doesn't get any agency in this story. As queen, there is no privacy. I mean, it's not like they can't hear it, but still. I mean, there's one thing between, you know, from hearing, you know, people getting it on through a tent to commenting on it. In like this knowing yeah. way. It makes you wonder how close she is outside that tent. Yeah, I don't know. And it's it's odd because it's obvious that Deandra is supposed to be this awesome friend to Cersei. And Cersei definitely takes it that way. And she's definitely our guide in this story. You know, she's Cersei's guide and she's the reader's guide. But she advocates for the culture. Like she's also an advocate for the culture. Yes, she is. And so while there are things that Cersei doesn't like, Deandra will say things like, well, this is just how it is. Yeah. This is just how they do it here. I mean, Cersei's allowed to sort of have an opinion, kind of, but she's not really allowed to do anything about that opinion. Lon has to do everything. When Cersei has a problem with something, she has to come to Lon, and the times that she doesn't, it's a big, big deal. Yeah, and, and Cersei, too, also seems to, either because of circumstance or maybe it's just who she is as a character, she's very trusting. 
So even if, although I don't think Deandra ever intends to do any malicious harm to her, there are characters that do, but Cersei doesn't seem to have that little voice in her head that says, you know what, I'm a queen, maybe I should... I don't know, be looking for spies or looking for people who might mean me or Daxlon harm. Like, that, it doesn't doesn't seem to occur to her, which is a little surprising for a 35-year-old, but perhaps she's just very trusting 35-year-old. That's something that I noticed um, in this book and the prior book that we read, is that the heroines are 30 or 35 or something like that, which in our culture, we kind of perceive that to be like fully adult. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have a job and a family and your life is set and, you know, your path is made and you're, you have agency and you're independent and you're an adult. The characters in these books, these women, they don't come off that way to me they come off a lot younger same here and it's not it's not just the language it's it's like i was saying before with the not not having a guard up that you would kind of think in her 30s that she would have some level of world awareness in that sort of sense yeah especially with cersei because her backstory is really sad her mother got murdered during a bank robbery and she was raised by her father, who never got over the death of her mother. And Cersei has a work-hard ethic as well, because when she wanted to take writing lessons that were too expensive for her father to pay for, she mucks out stalls. So she she has some, quote-unquote, right. real-world experience for the for that. So it's surprising to me that she doesn't relate to certain characters more or view the world in a little bit different way there may be very good reasons for that i'm just not sure what they are well she's a very strong person because she she survives and even thrives she's also very passive things happen to her and she reacts yeah she's well she's not in a position to really to do much like for example when this is a good example of all of these things she meets jeffrey this guy from the north and he's trying to befriend her because he's heard that she may be unhappy with Dax Lawn. And it doesn't sort of occur to her that, wait, this seems a little shifty. <laughs> it's just, right. here, here's a guy that is taking an interest in my well-being. Oh, isn't that nice? It's sort of like, <laughs> did, did you see him? He was one of the leering guys in the beginning. Did you not notice him? Okay. Yeah, Jeffrey, it turns out, is is a spy from Middleland, which um, if you listen to our previous episode is where King Balder is from, who's not a nice guy. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so back to the story. Um, there's a lot more exposition. Deandra starts telling Cersei more about how, you know, you're fulfilling all the things of legend that's talked about. And it's very, it's very much written in that way. Like, yes, this is a point where she fulfilled this box. Check. Yeah. And Deandra's definitely, you know, <laughs> a drinker of the Kool-Aid. Checking all the boxes. Yeah. Deandra is, is full on believer. Deandra comes and says, I'm going to be your interpreter and I get to start today and we're going to the warrior selection. Let's go. <laughs> so they do. It's it's on on the way as they're doing their procession or whatnot or making their way over there that they meet Jeffrey. And Deandra is not his fan and is just like, the Dax wouldn't like you talking to his wife, the queen. 
And I think Cersei Uh kind of bristles a little bit at that because I guess she's reminded of a time when she did have agency. So anyway, they're at the warrior selection because Jeffrey has decided to to walk away. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why. I guess he wasn't getting what he wanted or planned to get it later. I think he was hustled away. Ah, yes. Probably the warriors kind of. I don't think she has a guard at that point, but the ones that are escorting her. Oh, yeah, she does. Unbeknownst to her this whole time, she has a guard. (laughs) It's only later in the story that she learns that she has a guard and she has to let the guard guard her. Or else. At any rate, (laughs) at the warrior selection, she learns that the, the boys that are, you know, having their little, I don't know, tussle or fight to see if they'll get picked are about four and five year olds, which again, that was the kind of moment for me when I was like, okay, that seems a bit young. Like I know historically, like Spartans did the same thing where young boys would then go off on the warrior path. But for them, it was like at least seven. Right. Because four just seems so little close to a toddler but whatever and they they don't have contact with their family after that no they don't the the warrior guys are their family from that point on she's dressed skimpily as all the women are and the men but she's very fair-skinned and everyone else is darker skinned and used to being out in the sun all the time yeah she thought it was just going to be the warrior selection and then she was going to be able to leave but it turns out they're going to have a feast afterward a nice long party because you know yay new warriors and between the sun and the fire pits for long periods of time she's basically gonna bake and become a lobster which she tries to tell lon about and he simply is not listening no he doesn't listen and just expects her to be there because she's queen this is one of her duties yes and he's impassive This is one of the parts where, you know, she's had him tender and sweet with her, you know, making love to her versus, you know, violating her and being kind to her versus being hard with her. And then she goes out to this warrior selection and he's just completely impassive and stonewalls her. And she does not understand this at all because she doesn't understand that this is how he has to be to show that he's strong. Yeah, to avoid an uprising or anything. Mm-hmm. And so when she tries to tell him, hey, I'm going to burn, hey, care about me, care about me, he doesn't listen because he has to be king. Yes. He has to be toxic masculinity king. He can't be worried about things like that. Yes. Yes, but... But then the next day that she wakes up shivering, or it may not even be day, it may be the middle of the night, she wakes up shivering and she has sunstroke. And he is very upset by this. Yeah, because she starts shivering and he tries to put a blanket on her and she's trying to push it away. And she's being very nice about it. She's like, no, baby, don't put the blanket on me because, you know, heat. And she's all, <laughs> just give me something to drink. I just need water. You know, it's it's a heat thing. You don't put a blanket on something that's hot and expect it to cool down. Basically, her body took in all this heat. You need to get it out, not try to smother it with blankets. But he doesn't understand. And what he wants is what's going to happen. So she does basically relent. I kind of wonder about how sick she really is, because at a certain point, she's worried about modesty. And I'm thinking... If you're that sick, you don't care. 
that she keeps telling him it's okay it's okay I just need water eventually the healer comes and Deandra comes Deandra talks Cersei into taking a sleeping potion from the healer so that Lon will think that the problem is fixed Yes, he wants to think that it's fixed and he wants to feel better because he feels guilty for her baking. Yeah, just take your medicine and lie back and it'll be fine. Let's just make the king feel better. It's fine. Yeah. Creepy. That was really yucky to me. The idea that, you know, if they would just listen to her, she could sit in the corner and drink a bunch of water and be fine. Mm Mm-hmm but uncomfortable but instead of that she has to sedate herself so that lawn doesn't feel guilty yes so he doesn't have to deal with any emotions let's not have him deal with emotions at all let's just sedate her she's the problem and deandra even says something like that to her she says something like he probably doesn't even realize what he's feeling right now yay suppression apparently every other year after the warrior selection, the very next day they ride out because the Korwaks are nomadic throughout most of the year. But that morning, Lon does not have anyone ride out because he wants his queen to get better. And so Cersei sees this as a positive thing. Like this is one of the good things about Lon is that he cares about her and he doesn't want her to ride, which is hard to do when you're beset with sunstroke. Yeah. That way she doesn't have to sit more in the sun. She can have some time to recover and all of that. So in the meantime, Dax has, I guess, been getting lessons in Valyrian. Yeah, Lon speaks seven languages fluently. He's apparently very brilliant. One of the languages he doesn't speak is Valyrian because they live so far away. Was there another reason? Yeah, it's because Balder is a butthead. He's like, I don't like Balder, therefore I'm not going to learn his language as a show of disrespect. Yeah, he doesn't respect King Balder (laughs) of Middleland. But he learns it for Cersei. Yes. And he picks up on Valyrian way faster than Cersei picks up on Korwak. Yeah. Which, (laughs) fine. (laughs) Whatever. Good for Cersei. Yes. He, He wants to communicate with her. I guess that's good. Yeah. I guess that's a positive. So anyway, in the meantime, Norinda is found, her savior from the beginning of the book. And she has discovered that Norinda actually has a pretty good life going on. You know, she has kind of what she wanted, which is, you know, gruff warrior, heart of gold sort of situation. I think it's a little strange that Cersei, when she goes into Norinda's sham, is like, well, her things aren't as nice as mine. It's like, you're the queen. Of course you're going to have the better stuff and more stuff. I don't understand why this is surprising to you. Every time she goes into someone else's tent, I know, it's very weird. she's comparing their stuff. Yeah, she is. She's kind of materialistic. So also, Cersei kind of has a reality check from Deandra. Because Cersei learns about the Zocto. And she is not pleased. That there are, are women out there who are bathing and and putting paint on her man, who now, I guess, is her man. Like, she's fully embracing this. It's not like the guy that I had to get married to or whatever it is. That is her husband. And she asks Deandra to stay late one day so she can <laughs> confront Lon about it. 
Yeah, that's gonna go well. <laughs> Deandra's like, um, and Cersei's like, this is a favor, not as your queen. But Deandra says she'll do it. Cersei tells Lon, you know, in her world, husbands and wives are faithful to each other. If you need someone to wash you, it'll be me. If you need someone to do your hair or your paint, it'll be me. If you need someone to have sex with, it'll be me. Lon surprisingly agrees. He says, fine. Well, yeah, because he wants his the wife who he considers hot to want to bathe him and things like that. He feels like this is upgrade. <laughs> Maybe. He seems a little pissed at first, and yes. I think it's because she's telling him. But once he realizes what she's offering, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll take you up on it. Yeah. Plus, she says, like, men in my culture don't cheat on their wives. But when they do, she has a right to leave. And he's like, you're never leaving. That triggers his, I don't know, abandonment issues or something. He's like, no, no, you're never leaving. It's like, chill, dude. Yeah, it's it's so strange because when when Cersei is actually waiting for Lon to show up, this is another instance where she's just like, she says, I put I put the quotes, when I see something I want, I get irrational and stupid. It's like, no, no, you you not wanting to be cheated on is not this is not irrational and stupid. She does not validate her own feelings. She does not. She sees that as weak. I think, which <laughs> makes her fit right in with the other Korwakians. So she's a good fit for their culture then, oh. I guess. <laughs> but she does soften Lon quite a bit in the ways that he's able to be softened, I think. Yes, she does. But it does occur to her that that Lon won't let her kiss him or vice versa. And she also learns that the Zacto are responsible for when when the young boys are ushered into manhood, so to speak. No kissing will happen because you don't know where their mouths have been. Apparently that's, it doesn't, any other body part, it doesn't seem to matter quite so much, but the mouths, it matters. And she's also reminded of, oh, whoopsie, birth control isn't a thing. Yeah, they they have those discussions of, I want birth control. And he's just like, um, no, that is not something you'll be doing. It's like, I will not sheath my sword. Uh. <laughs> he actually laughs at her about it. <laughs> yeah, he thinks the idea is just so funny. Well, he just, he, I think he just can't believe that she would ask. <laughs> it's just so foreign to him. You, you having a say about your body? <laughs> that is hysterical. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm not pulling out. That is a disgrace. You only do that with the Zacto, not with your wife. Yes. Yeah, there's yeah. no way. Because, of course, he wants an heir, so he is not going to allow things like that to happen. Yeah, it's a big deal. Women belong to the men, mm -hmm. essentially, including their choices about families mm -hmm. and whether to expand the family so cersei goes to visit narinda with deandra of course there's a commotion and cersei learns that a young boy is choking and she performs the heimlich on him and saves his life yes and saves his life and she doesn't see that this is a big deal because most people know about the heimlich 
Some people have actually performed the Heimlich. It's a common thing in our culture, but for them, it's it's bordering on witchcraft, I guess. It just further proves that she is the true golden warrior queen. Yes. So it further ingratiates her with the people, which is good, I suppose. There are lots of things that Cersei does that's just natural for her that proves to the people that she is the queen of legend. Yes. So meanwhile, while that is happening, um, Lon, which she does not know, is worried about where she is. Yeah, he doesn't know where she is. And like we said before, he's had a guard follow her around this whole time but the only reason the guard has been able to follow her like when she goes to the market and stuff is because uh tea true one of her one of her slaves lets them know oh she's doing this today and when she went to go visit narinda they kind of went about out and about and the guard never caught up with her so you know they went to the market and the guard once the guard got to the market she was already at narinda's house and then um once the guard got to narinda's house she was already helping the choking boy and then once that happened she was at naku's house i think Mm -hmm. who's the mother of the choking boy so the guard never catches up with her so when they get home thinking oh everything's fine she had a great day lon is standing there and he is livid like angry and scary mad he walks up to her and smacks her across the face so hard that she falls (sighs) she says to him and she has deandra translate she says to him you raped me and i forgave you you left me out in the burning sun and i got sunstroke and i forgave you and i've struggled with your world but i've dealt with it But when you take your anger out on me, when I did nothing wrong, I can't forgive you. You used your strength against me full out, which is formidable against even men. And I'm your wife and it's unforgivable. Her face swells the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) She, she's, she, the way they word it is she bears his mark. Yeah. And this disturbs people. This disturbs her friends. This disturbs his men yeah the people kind of pull away from her because they see that oh maybe the king doesn't like her so much yeah i'm not sure if it's because of that or they're just uncomfortable with it i don't know i mean when you see a woman who's obviously been abused in that way yeah i think most people just shy away and they don't look i think it's just a human reaction yeah it's in this world in this story it's very much like what happens in your tent stays in your tent yeah and so it's not their business. The same way with the way Dortak um, abuses his wife severely and people just let it happen because she's his wife. She's his due as a warrior. Yeah. She's considered the treasures or spoils of war. Yeah. So I think it's partly that too. I think it's like, well, it's none of our business. So even if I mean, maybe they think he doesn't like her. Maybe they disagree with what he did. We don't know. But all we know is that they just are very uncomfortable with it, which good for them because I am too. <laughs> me me too. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the more uncomfortable moments in the book. And unfortunately, there are several which aren't always as bombastic as a scene like this. One of the things about that scene, so Cersei explains to him... Like, my father loved me. I was precious to him. He would never allow anything like this to happen. You would not be seen favorably in his sight. 
even if you would kill him, my father would still fight for me. That kind of thing. And it just, it seemed a little strange to me that that was the moment that Lon actually like, what do you mean your father wouldn't like me? Like it's the opinion of another man was more important to him than Cersei's opinions about herself. Yeah. It's like this, this hypothetical guy disapproving of him seemed to really get to him. Yeah, that's interesting that you brought that up because later in the story, he gets a message from the father and he reacts almost the same way as though the father has more more power over Cersei than Cersei herself does. Yeah. Which I guess is true. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is. <laughs> he says to her, I do not like it that my queen bears my mark. And she's just like thinking to herself, well, then you shouldn't have hit me, you fuck. Exactly. Fair enough. <laughs> but she's she's learning not to say things at this point. Like she's learning to keep her thoughts to herself a little bit because of this. So part of what leads up to her getting struck by him is, you know, that Jeffrey character, like he's worried that she was abducted. Yes. But instead of when she comes back in the sham being like, oh, look, wife, I'm so happy that that you were not abducted and something horrible happened to you. It is whack. And something that's really difficult that makes it unbelievable to me, like this is like the rape in the beginning was more believable to me. Like this is something that he could do because it's part of his culture and it's expected yeah. of him. And even though I wouldn't want to be a part of it, I can understand, I think, where he's coming from. Especially in so many women consider it an honor. You know, it kind of is less maybe hopefully rapey for them because they want it. Yeah, the physical violence where he smacks her across the face so hard that she falls on her ass and gets winded that is hard to understand as a believable part of the story because this is a man who's been trained since like the age of five yeah. to be in control. Mm -hmm. And he has, in other moments of the story, shown great physical control. Right. And so, I mean, maybe the author is using this as a moment to show how much Lon feels about Cersei. I think that he should have shown it in a different way because... It's just unbelievable. He loses control because he's worried about her. Yeah. I just, and, and for me as a reader, yes, I feel disgusted by the, by the actions, but as a reader, it took me out of the story. Me too. Because it just didn't seem, it didn't seem justified in the story. Not that it's ever justified. But there was no reason for it to be that way in the story that I could tell. No, because at that point, you sort of feel like maybe he does actually care about her because he's he's shown as being sweet in this way or behaviors that he has. She interprets that way. It's supported by what what transpires in the story. So for him to just go from, you know, I'm calm and sweet and everything's fine to all of a sudden backhanding her across the room because he was worried and why on earth didn't he tell her that she needed to take a guard with her everywhere she went? He didn't have to tell her, oh, I'm worried that your life is in danger and we have all these spies and everything. I mean, it would have been nice if he had, but he didn't have to. All he had to do was say, hey, you need to have a guard with you when you go out. Yeah. And I think Cersei would have complied. Yeah, especially after the whole Jeffrey thing. Yeah. Because it's not like you find out later he knows about Jeffrey. He actually... Yeah, he knows. He tortures Jeffrey and takes his tongue. He knows about him. So it would have been very easy for him to be like, Hey, wife, how about you go out with a guard? <laughs> I just... I find it difficult that he had no way of being able to ascertain where she was 
And that also works out to be a punishment for her. Right. When she didn't do anything wrong. Nope. She was just living her life, doing the best she could in her circumstances. Exactly. <laughs> Even saving the life of a child, which we learn right after he smacks her in the face and everything, the mother and father bring their son to Lon's tent and say, like, tell him what happened and give Cersei this beautiful, extremely expensive looking dagger as a gift to say thank you for saving the life of their son. And Cersei tries to demur, but Deandra's like, no, you are going to hurt their feelings and you, you need to just accept this. Which she does. She does accept it. And I think too that the, in this instance, Deandra's definitely right. I mean, Cersei tries to say, oh, it was nothing. And the father says, it was not nothing because I get to see my son grow up and my wife is not hidden behind a veil of mourning. Exactly. And he at that point like swears his life to hers. Yes. And I think from that point on, Botan is part of her guard. He is. And it it's actually all the women that Cersei befriends, their, their husbands become part of her guard. And... Lon explains it that that they are more likely to be a good guard to her because of the bond that she has with their wives. Yes. So it's a good way to help ensure that she will be well protected mm -hmm. by um, honorable, trustworthy, loyal people. Yes. And they are. And they are. So they start to break camp and become nomadic once again. Lon gives her a horse. Yes. Which she names Zephyr. And so as they're writing, like she sort of, this is still at a point in the story where she feels, because she was just backhanded, that maybe, maybe Lon doesn't want to see her so much. So she actually like rides towards the back, even like so far back that she's kind of with, with the slaves, frankly. And that is considered a no-no. So a warrior is sent back to correct her as to where she is able to ride <laughs> and does so like in a really kind of dangerous way like doesn't just here let me take your reins and guide you up to the front i think he like physically manhandles her like grabs her out of the saddle rides the horse up you know still with the reins for the other horse rides up and then plops her back into the horse yes it's, next to deandra yeah it's it's sort of like that was exceedingly unnecessary and thank you Cersei even mentions that too. She thinks to herself, wow, you could have just grabbed the reins and led the horse without <laughs> pulling me out of the saddle, dude. Makes me kind of wonder how much you value your queen when you're willing to break her neck just to move her up in line. Yeah. At any rate, she's she's up there. She and Deandra had a falling out. Well, it's not even that. It's more like Cersei is avoiding Deandra because of all this that happened. And she doesn't want to hear... What Deandra has to say, because what Deandra always has to say is this is the culture here. Yeah, the Dax is always right. Suck it up. Yeah. I mean, that's always what Deandra has to say. And while you know Deandra loves Cersei, Deandra is also fully immersed in Korwak. And she was like, this is just how it is. And she's she's not necessarily making excuses. Like she's not saying the king was right to hit you. She's just saying this is what he knows. This is how it is here. Yeah, like even now when when Cersei is given a horse, it's, oh, look, the Dax has honored his Daxana with with a horse. You know, women have been married yeah. for years to their warriors and not given a horse. And it's sort of like, 
Okay. Everything that Lon does for Cersei, like, checks another box for Deandra. Deandra's like, oh, wow. It's always an honor. This has never been done. Whatever it is. This has never been done either. Yeah, whatever it is, it's always an honor. Like, yeah. Okay. This is, okay. Thanks. Thanks, Deandra. <laughs> but I think that I think Cersei is just avoiding Deandra, and I think she's embarrassed because who wouldn't yeah. be? No, it makes sense. You know, you're out with your you're out with your girlfriends. You come home, and your husband backhands you in front of everyone, mm-hmm. and nobody does anything. I mean, no one does anything, and. I don't think she would have to feel embarrassed, but I think it's natural to feel embarrassed. No, I fully agree with you. And while Cersei has no control, it's not like, you know, here where she could pack up and leave him and go to a battered woman's shelter or something. You know, it's not like she can call her dad and have him pick her up. Yeah, there's there's no perception of her having options like there would be if she lived here. Whether or not she would have options living in our world or not, there's at least the perception that they exist. Whereas with that situation, they're not. Yeah. And so, I mean, she definitely has, she shouldn't be embarrassed because it's completely out of her control. It is. Yeah, that's that's sort of the moral of maybe this story, maybe the first book too, which is basically you don't get a say. Right. Yeah, I think that that there's a lot of this culture war between Cersei and Lon, and Lon always always wins because they're on his home turf. Yeah, I think it's it's not as explored as much in the previous book because there's not as much of an effort put in to make that world or that that country that culture to actually feel as different that's true lunwin in the first book feels much more like a medieval fantasy setting and this book you know which i'm sure if you're a fan uh of the story is much more like the dothraki from game of thrones (laughs) yeah totally that's that's very similar to what i have pictured in my head actually yeah uh, while they're in the caravan, Cersei gets a reality check from Deandra again, and then she and she gets lifted out of her horse again and brought up to Lon. And Deandra comes up too to translate. Yes, because Lon has heard her laugh. Yes, the dulcet sounds of her laughing have awoken Lon, and he's just like, "No, no, now you sit near me. I have missed your attention." Yeah, he has her sit. I think in the saddle with him yeah and basically gives her an interrogation about her past which makes her really uncomfortable because she starts to realize up until this point i think she's been like i don't know why i'm here i don't know what happened but she starts to realize that there is someone else who looks just like her that got captured and put in that pen at the beginning yeah before she woke up and lon is aware of this yeah he had, I think at this point, we've met the eunuch. Yes. Karim? Yeah, we've met him. Uh, Cersei's not so much a fan of him. He kind of, I guess, seems creepy to her. Yes. He's basically like Lon's advisor. The eunuch would know about the other Cersei being on the pirate ship because he's instrumental of finding the women for the wife hunt. Yes. So yeah, he was, he was <laughs> I don't know, just... Where a, where a pirate ship was and said, yep, that one, let's take her. And oh, yeah, that one, which would be Narinda because her father was a pirate or a ship captain. You know, he, he got a, a two for one special at the docks. <laughs> 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 so, 
sorry. I'm terrible. Oh, no, gosh. <laughs> mm. I'm terrible. Anyway. <laughs> Lon questions Cersei about her past, and Cersei just kind of bullshits him. She's like, I'm from Seattle. It's a really tiny, tiny kingdom. And he's like, I've never heard of it. Well, she's she's not lying. She's just trying to... She doesn't want to tell him the truth, which is she's from another world and... Oh, yeah, I guess there was another Cersei. Oh, I wonder whatever happened to her. I guess we traded places. And she tells him about her parents and that her mother died, but she also says that her father died. Yes. Even though it's not true. Yeah, she says, no, he, he died in his in a dream or something like that in his sleep. Some sort of parallel. Lon has decided it's time to kiss Cersei. And in this culture in Korwak, kissing is a big freaking deal because your eyes are literally the window to your spirit and while Cersei's spirit her warrior spirit is always out for everyone to see in her eyes which is something that attracted Lon Lon's spirit is kept fully locked away in its toxic masculinity cage (laughs) and he was trained to keep his guard up and so for him wanting to kiss her He wants to share this with her. He wants to share his spirit with her, which is a very important thing. It's very romantic, and it also means that he trusts her. Yes. Cersei keeps denying him a kiss, but eventually they do kiss. And he's a quick study, so it's all good. He's very good. But his soul, his spirit is beautiful, and it's golden. Yes, they have a magical moment. Yeah, and we learn how fluent Lon actually is in Valyrian as well. Yes, he's a, <laughs> he's a very quick study. <sighs> so at one point, they, the caravan stops, and they set up camp temporarily, and a, a mother and son come up to Cersei and Deandra, and I think Narinda too. I think so, because they're constantly hanging out. They're like the girl squad. Yeah. So this boy comes up with his guitar or an instrument that is guitar-esque and is playing for her and singing and the mother is very proud. So in the background or off to the side, Dortak reemerges. Don't we love him? Ugh. With... No. I know, really. With his poor wife. Yeah, with his, his poor abused wife. He's got bandages on, but they're not healing well. They can't kill him fast enough. And the the wife, his wife... She is wearing the, the claiming chain and the necklace, and he is dragging her around. And Lon, meanwhile, is talking to his other warriors and ignoring him because he's not going to rise to the bait. Mm-hmm. Cersei sees this, sees how abused and mistreated the wife is, and she asks for the little boy's guitar, and she plays Wonderful World over the rainbow loud enough to where Dortok's wife can hear her. And there's, I guess, a little a little smile that she sees. So she's been able to to reach Dortok's wife and give some notes of encouragement. Yeah, there's a moment there where the wife, up until this point, the wife has been completely dead in the eyes. Like she's just locked herself away. Understandably. Yeah. I mean, what kind of hell has she been living in? Yeah. God. It's, it's best not to think about. <laughs> Yeah, and so the song brings her a very small amount of comfort. Which is good. 
you know, Cersei does something nice for her. Of course, Dortok is not thrilled, but... Yeah, Dortok sees this and basically wrenches the chain around his wife's neck to snap her out of it. Yes, another show of dominance on his part. Botan tells Dortok that you're dis- you're disrespecting our queen. Yeah, the queen doesn't like it. And of course, Dortok doesn't care. And even Lon will interject and say, Cersei can kick your ass. Yeah. Which is supposed to, of course, be an insult to Dortak that a woman, a lowly woman, could best him. Yes, Dortak challenges Lon. He says that Cersei's got him by the dick, basically, and is Mm -hmm. leading him around, you know, with her sexual, oh, what do you want to call it? (laughs) Her charms. Yeah. And he challenges Lon. He says, you're not Dax because you're letting this woman rule you. And Lon says he wants Dortak to be healthy before he takes him, takes his head. Yeah, he wants it to be a fair fight, which is why he's letting Dortak get healthy before he plans on fighting him and killing him. Yeah, so he gives Dortak two weeks to heal up and then they'll fight. Which to me is a little like, okay, so you want him to heal, that's fine. But does the wife have to stay with him? Yeah. You know, that's just me as a reader, just wondering, like, if you're so powerful, Dax, why can't you do this? We learn a quaint Korwakian custom where once there's a challenge like this, the winner chops off the loser's head, ties it to his saddle by the hair, and parades around the town with it until he gets bored of it. And then he cuts the hair and lets the head fall, and the people do with it what they want. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the body gets burned on a pyre, which is a great insult because they burn all their dead so that their ashes can meet their spirit. But the the defeated one will be burned headless and so will never have its head again. Yes, that is an insult for the afterlife, a burn that will continue to burn in death, in theory, mm-hmm. for them. In theory. For them. After that happens, sometime later, all of a sudden there's this loud thunder, which Cersei realizes is the horde, like the official horde of thousands of writers. Yeah, the rest returning. of the horde. <laughs> yeah, the actual horde. Not these these people that she's been traveling with, but the actual warriors. And she realizes that her man is controlling of 75,000 warriors. Well, actually, there's more than that. But this is the, the amount that's coming here now. Yes. And and her heart goes pitter-patter because that excites her. He's so powerful. He, he is a commander of men. And Deandra, Deandra says, I see that you're realizing you're actually a queen. Yeah. You're actually getting some sort of sense of the amount of people with whom you... I, I, I was going to say over whom she rules but she doesn't really rule over anybody (laughs) sorry i'm just a little harsh (laughs) poor cersei she keeps trying to to build up her confidence and i just keep popping that bubble yeah but it's i feel like it's not me it's the writer she has she has constructed this world she has made cersei impotent true cersei is is a is passive and impotent yeah she's passive 
We learn more about her guard. Now she has two guard that she's aware of that constantly are with her. And one of them is Bane, who is fun and smiley and likes to talk to her and stuff. And then there's Zanin, who's grumpy, super grumpy. Yes. And they take turns walking her around and stuff. We also at that point have learned that the eunuch became a eunuch because of the previous Dax, the one who... I, I believe it's the one who uh, killed Lon's father. Yes. Yes. That's he it. found out that he was gay and decided, well, then I guess he'll be a eunuch. There's this weird theme of, of homosexuality where, oh, it's not bad, but the people who are <laughs> get treated horribly. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know what to call this. I, I'm sure that there's lots of names that come to mind. I mean, I laugh, but it's out of uncomfortableness. I yeah. really don't know how to interpret it. I don't either. It is one of those things where it's like, I can understand in a different world, you know, there are different rules. I mean, it's certainly like that in our world, you know, depending on what country you're in. I think that that a, a big part of this this whole element in her stories, the two that I've read, is that it's that it's okay, but it's actually not okay. Yeah. And it makes me wonder where the author stands. Yeah. Because having a story where someone is gay and it's not okay, that's, I think, usually, I think that should be a story where it's, you know, where that's a character that we learn about and connect with. And yeah. see sympathetically. No, I agree. In this case, I really don't feel that. I don't feel that with the eunuch. I think that Cersei doesn't trust him, doesn't like him. And we just learn this about him. And it's just, it, it makes everyone uncomfortable. Everyone is uncomfortable with what happened to him and why. And as they should be. <laughs> yeah. But. I totally agree. But at the same time, he's not. He's not a very deep character. He's not very three-dimensional. And I think that that's... No, he's very peripheral in the story. And I think that that's, that's a fault in the story. I think that if you're going to have a character like that who is mutilated due to his sexuality, then, then maybe it should be done differently. We do know that Lon remembers Karim and um, has him brought back to Korwak after he becomes Dax and installs him in this powerful position as basically his advisor, which is completely unusual. Yes. And he's the only man, he is the only person who calls the eunuch by his given name. Everyone else calls him the eunuch. Yeah. <laughs> and he, Cersei asks him what his name is and he eventually gives it to her but he tells her that no one calls him by that name. That name died when he was mutilated. Yeah. So after they're done talking with the eunuch, Bane and Cersei keep walking. And all of a sudden they hear this horrible scream. They learn from someone who's running by that it's Dortak and his wife. And Bane wants to get Cersei back to her tent. But Cersei commands that they go to her. And Bane is like, oh fuck <laughs> because <laughs> you know cersei's like my your queen commands it and so bane's like damn it <laughs> they go over to where dortak's tent is and he's got his wife kneeling on the ground with his knife 
at her throat and he has a huge cut on his shoulder because she fought back and you could tell he's about yeah he's about to slit her throat and cersei grabs one of the knives out of bane's belt and holds it against dortak's neck and says stop Mm -hmm. and dortak starts to cut his wife and she says stop and she goes your queen commands it and Dortak will not back down. And so her guards, Bane and Zanon, stand up for her. And they're like, you need to obey your queen. Your queen commands it. Drop your blade. And he drops his blade. But then she gets like <laughs> dragged back to her tent. <laughs> That's not, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I'm incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, it's an uncomfortable laugh. I, I feel like that needs to be stated throughout this reading this story or listening to it because I listened to it on an audiobook. Lots of laughing happened and very little of it was because I found something funny. Yeah, it's a lot of uncomfortable laughter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she gets she gets dragged back to her tent by her guard. Deandra reads her the riot act. She's like, you do not as a woman hold a weapon to a warrior he was not do he was not forcing himself on you he was not mishandling your slaves he was doing stuff with his wife yeah and she's like and that's none of your business yeah the warrior sham is a private place and so even before then cersei knows that she has she has messed up before but she takes it a point to say that she fucked up yes seriously that is that is a do not cross line yeah deandra tells her that the two guards that had her back could be killed for this that cersei could be killed over this and when lan shows up cersei's just quiet (laughs) yeah it's a it's a very eerie moment i must admit it was one of the many sort of uncomfortable eerie moments in this story yeah and lan says to her my tigress it seems unsheaths more than her claws you drew a warrior's blood you were the second woman today to draw his blood. And so he reveals that the wound in his shoulder was from his wife. And Cersei kind of privately is like, good. Yeah, she doesn't feel any sympathy for Dortok. <laughs> and I don't really think most people would. Lon tells Cersei he's past judgment and she will not like his decision, but she's going to have to deal with it. The two guards, his two warriors, stood by their queen and they're not going to be punished because they were following his explicit orders to protect her. And so he says she's the one who made the choice to put them in that position. And it was her fault that that happened. And he said he understands because she has a warrior spirit, but she needs to think before she acts like a warrior. So he's telling her that warriors think before they act. Yeah, Lon, think before you act. Maybe think and then not hit your wife. Yeah. And then he (laughs) tells her, that he's going to have to execute uh, Dortak's wife because she took steel to her husband, which is forbidden. Yeah. Cersei's like, she had no other choice. And Lon says she didn't, but now neither do I. And he points out that if she had waited one more week, he would have defeated Dortak and she would have been free. But instead, she chose to attack Dortak. She knew that if she took steel to her husband that she would be either murdered by her husband or sentenced to die by her king. And that was a choice that she made as a Korwak. Yes, that is the degree of agency that she has. Yes. How do you want to die? She, yeah. And she couldn't stand another week 
of the torture. Which, uh, yeah, I don't know if I would have the wherewithal to endure what I can only imagine that character endured. Yeah, it isn't explicitly stated everything that happens to this character, but every time we see Dortak's wife... She's worse. Bad stuff is happening to her, and it's obvious bad stuff had recently happened to her. It's a continual 24-hour bad fest. And everyone just lets it happen because he's a warrior. So it kind of makes me think that that the wife, I mean, it's like, yeah, all she would have had to wait is a week. But I'm like, maybe not, because what would happen to her once Dortak is killed? Is she offered up again as a wife or is she one of the the other women that you know they they basically don't have social standing but the tribe supports them so they like have their own little sham they're able to yeah they have they learn a trade yeah they can eke out a living maybe perhaps they're married again that kind of things to a non-warrior yeah, to a non-warrior it's so tricky because they use the term korwak for basically anybody who becomes a part of the tribe yes so like cersei even though she's from from this world and narinda even though she's from the north she is now korwak so i don't know if dortok's wife is korwak in the sense that she is raised in this culture or if she came to this culture and was sort of enveloped by it (laughs) um devoured by this culture if you will it's not explicitly stated but i do think that she's described as being darker okay which is like the other korwak so i thought she was or at least from the southland so she might understand what would happen to her if dortok was no longer a part of her life that was my impression yeah maybe she looked at what potentially could happen to her we don't really know and maybe she just thought well that's not much better Or she just feels so defeated that just pull the ripcord. That's the whole point, though, because Lon, in part of his explanation to Cersei, he says she was asking for this judgment. Yeah. His treatment has broken her spirit and it's dead inside her and she wants to go rejoin it. Yeah. Lon, I think, understands that that this is this is a suicide yeah he feels like this is what he can provide to his uh, a member of his people yeah and within the rules of of his world that's what he's able to do you know he challenged dortak yeah and would have killed him yeah he would have and then his wife would have been free as much as she could be but he could see that dortak's wife was dead inside lon tells cersei she has to be there for the execution it's her duty but also so she can be there for Dortak's wife because she wishes to see Cersei's eyes before she moves to the next realm. Cersei asks Lon what her name is, and he says he doesn't know. Yeah, she's just Dortak's wife. And that's something with the culture too. All the women, all the warrior wives are so-and-so's wife, basically. And it's it's explained later in the story that it's a way to to enforce fidelity because they're not creating a relationship with other women. And knowing the woman's name creates more intimacy. Yeah. <laughs> it's explained. I Which don't whatever. know if I necessarily buy into it being successful, but that's the explanation they give. Yeah. So they go to where she will be executed and she's there. She's wrapped in a white gauzy sarong thing. Lon tells his judgment that he basically already explained to Cersei. As he starts to speak, the different warriors stand up 
and they say, I wish to speak my king. The first one is, is Botan, who says that his wife has formed a bond with Cersei. And since Cersei has formed a bond with Dortok's wife, his wife also feels that bond and wishes to help Cersei resurrect Dortok's wife's spirit. The other warriors stand up too. Like Narinda's husband stands up and says basically the same thing. And everyone, other warriors stand up and say the same thing. That they want Dortak's wife to be able to have her spirit resurrected by Cersei and the women who wish to help her. Dortak is filled with rage at this because he's ready. He wants his wife to die. Yeah, because he wants her out of the way. So he, when he, in his mind, when he beats Lon, that he can do all of these horrible things that he's been doing to his wife, to Cersei, and probably more. And probably worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lon speaks to Dortak's bride and says, give me your eyes. And she looks and makes eye contact with him. And he asks her if it's her wish for the queen and her women to resurrect her spirit. And she says, no. Yeah. She shakes her head. And Lon says, you understand that judgment has been passed. And she agrees. And he says, you accept this. And she agrees. The eunuch is behind her and goes to slit her throat. And Cersei mentions that he's doing it almost tenderly, if you can. And Lon asks her if she has any last words, and she says rainbow. And then she grabs the knife out of the eunuch's hand and guts herself. Yeah, it's very gory. As this happens, Cersei stands up and screams, no. And the sky lights up simultaneously with lightning, a crack of thunder, and rain starts pouring down. Um, The eunuch cuts her throat, so that she's no longer in pain and the people come and wrap her up and take her away and Lon takes Cersei back. Oh yeah, and meanwhile Dortok is like happy and pounding his chest. Yeah, Dortok's thrilled cuz he feels like this is this is a victory for yeah, him. Yeah. That from his perspective, yeah. And Lon comforts Cersei. He lets Cersei let all her feelings out and he comforts her and I feel like this is a a sweet thing. It is. It's one of the sweeter moments of them in the book. Yeah. He also tells her she deserves the warrior paint because when he's painted and then they have sex, his paint rubs off on her and he enjoys that. But he also enjoys that she has a warrior spirit and she deserves to wear the paint. Yeah. And he also goes on to say that the heavens wept at my wife's command. Yes. So not only is she a warrior, but here is evidence of her goddess nature. And they start calling her, he starts calling her my golden warrior goddess, which is a new, another new name for her. (laughs) Yes. Which is Pansanala. Oh, I did not catch that. Oh, gosh. Okay. She's Karana Tuna Kanasa Pansanala. Which is my golden warrior goddess. Okay. All right. Let's get that on a crown and have it wrap around your head. (laughs) The next day, he asks her if she wants to go to the funeral pyre. He says he can't go, but she should go if she wants to. I think she's expected to go. Like, to sort of represent them both. Like, he's, he's too busy. He can't do it, but... As queen. Yes, but he does give her the choice. Oh, I don't remember it as a choice. She's given so few in this book. (laughs) I honestly didn't catch it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) He says, it is your choice, but I urge you to watch the ashes of Dortak's bride drift to the heavens. 
And then later when she says she'll go, he says, this is not an easy choice, but it's the right one. So he, I mean, he heavily implies, yeah, you should do this, but he does give her a choice. It is sort of a queenly act, and I'm glad that Cersei does it. So they go to the pyre, and everyone who's there has flowers. And Cersei actually takes this time, I forget who she asks, I think it's Deandra, if she happens to know <laughs> Dortok's wife's name. And so we finally, for the first time in the story, learn her name, and it's Maya. Yeah. She sings the song again to everyone, and she has Deandra translate it and tells them that she hopes that Maya's spirit is now over the rainbow where she wanted to be. Yeah, it's a very nice moment for for Maya. Yeah, so Cersei really hasn't sort of accepted the the goddessness of her role. And so prior to going to the funeral, that's something that Deandra actually talks to her about is like, oh my gosh, at first Deandra is very miffed because she's, I understand that you had magic and you had to keep it to yourself, but I thought we were close enough that you could have told me. And so she's like, I don't have magic. And then so by the end of that chapter, she's kind of thinking, well, maybe I do. It's great for me that if she's accepting that she may have magic, I think it's I'm so conflicted because when Cersei reacts to the idea that she may have magic, she she's, oh, shit, not yay, which would be my <laughs> if I realized I had magic that could affect the weather. I'd be like, oh, that's so cool. Plus, I don't understand why Cersei does not take this time to now. Now she believes that she could possibly have access to magic or is magic or whatever it is that Cersei is translating this to be. She doesn't take the time to learn about her magic. No. Or any way to control it or access it or command it or any of those things. And that to me is really difficult to understand. Yeah, it's in sync with her emotions and she realizes that. But that's it. <laughs> but she doesn't she doesn't do anything else about it. Again, the magic happens. She doesn't cause it. Oh, yeah. I just, it's so frustrating to me because until this point, she really is such a powerless character. And here is a way for her to have some, some access to some sort of power, some sort of anything that would be hers, not, not given to her right. by the Corwalk culture or Doxlon, but something that would be hers. And she just doesn't seem to want any part of it. Which is weird yes. to me. So after after that happens, we have her, which is I think about three weeks later. So the story jumps forward about three weeks. And so now we have introduced the guard Zanin, and he's got a predicament. Yes, he tells Cersei that his new wife, because he also found a bride during the wife hunt, has not settled into the culture like Cersei has. And he asks her as a favor, as his queen, to help her. And so she agrees. And she also considers this is probably why Zana is so grumpy. <laughs> this might have something to do with that. But she gets Deandra and they go to Zanin's tent and go inside. And they meet his wife, whose name is Sabine. She's from Floridia, which speaks... Floridian, which is like French. Deandra does not speak French. 
And so they go get another um, woman who who does. So there there are other women in in the horde, you know, who have been taken from other places. And so some of them speak Floridian. Yeah. So Claudine is brought in to speak with Sabine. But until then, up until that point, while they're waiting, Cersei makes the note of, again, this tent is not as nice as mine. But she does realize that uh, Sabine has incense and she really likes incense. Cersei makes the mental note of telling Titru to get her some incense. I should be nicer to Cersei. I'm sorry that I'm not. But when Cersei sees Sabine, because she remembers some high school French, so she's able to, to get the name Sabine out. One of her comments about how Sabine looks is her ass and her breasts are, were nothing to write home about. Oh, I know. She says, oh, she's so pretty, but her body, mm, not so much. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, gross. I, I'm, I'm trying to root for her and like her, but I just, I don't think I have it in me. Uh, Cersei tells Xana and she needs Lon. And so Lon comes, Cersei pulls him aside and says, you need to talk to Xana and tell him he needs to stop raping her, raping <laughs> raping Sabine and to woo her you know and be gentle with her and Lon looks at her like you expect me to tell one of my warriors he cannot fuck his wife and she's like yeah and he's like "Mm." and he just walks away and she's like oh god so then she does it (laughs) yeah she goes up to Zanin and she's like fine if you don't want to have the uncomfortable conversation I will. I will wear the pants and have yeah. an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. It, and he's just like, oh my god. He's pissed. And she goes, your king did not break through with me until he was gentle and giving. That he saw the battle before him and made a strategy as a warrior to win her. And she words it that way. And at that point, Xanon is kind of buying into it a little bit. And he's like, okay, I will do this. You know? It's just such an awkward moment. Like, <laughs> I felt uncomfortable. See, I think it's it's after this that we have the fight between Lon and Dortok. The long-awaited fight. Yeah, Cersei paints him. She's afraid for Lon, not because she doesn't think Lon can beat him, but because she thinks Dortak will cheat, which Lon is well aware of. And he tells her, do you not think that I've <laughs> planned for this? And Cersei's like, no, I didn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> but she finishes painting him. They go to the clearing where the fight is going to take place. Dortak shouts all these threats, you know, when I take your head, I'm not going to burn your body in a pyre, I'm going to throw it in the river, take your wife, and when she enters and leaves my cham, she'll see your head rotting on a pike outside, and just talks about how he's going to mistreat Cersei. Graphically. Yeah, graphically, in great detail. Lon just stares at him and then he takes off all his weapons and gives them to Cersei and he says when I take your head I'm going to use your own steel and Dortak says I've never been disarmed and Lon goes well today's your first day 
at last. New experiences, buddy. New experiences. Yeah, and this fight scene is pretty badass. It's graphic, but it is badass, and I really enjoyed reading it because Cersei, for the first time, sees that Lon is a warrior. Up until this point, he's just been like this grumpy, quiet dude that commands people and then comes home and fucks her. Yeah. You know? That's accurate. <laughs> and <laughs> I basically... And now she sees how powerful and in control of his body he is. Yes, he really is a warrior among men. Yes. And so he has no trouble avoiding Dortak and does indeed take his steel. And he actually, he wounds Dortak like in the same area that Maya did. That's one of the last Uh blows that he deals to Dortak. He also cuts him off at the knees. Literally, he breaks his arm. He drags the broken, legless corpse, or not corpse, he's not dead yet, but body up to Cersei, who just stares. He says to Cersei, are you bored yet? (laughs) Yes. And Cersei replies... Yes, my king, you promised me your paint. We have better things to do. I want to play. And the crowd goes wild, and they both grin, and then Lon beheads him, and he tells Cersei that he can that she can go home now because she's seen enough and she doesn't have to be there while he rides around camp with the head tied to a saddle, basically. And I think she's probably pretty <laughs> grateful for that. That would be my impression. Uh, Yeah. So he sends her home. (laughs) Because I think she's keeping it together, like, at the funeral, and then also in this, like, she's being queenly. Like, she's keeping her head on her shoulders. She's being as impassive as she can. But he knows that she's just, she's maxed. She needs to to go. So later, uh, Lon is gone for a while. Um, Cersei has some time to think and she thinks about the magic and she has considered that, you know, maybe she could use it to send herself home, but she's going to stay because she's in love with Lon. After Lon finishes celebrating with (laughs) Dortak's head and comes home for the night, they make sweet, sweet love (laughs) with his warrior paint and Dortak's blood still on his body. Less wahoo. Cersei wants him to wash it off. <laughs> but Lon is like, no, he has to stay here tonight so he can see what he's missing out on. I'm just sorry, but. <laughs> but meanwhile, they make beautiful, sweet love. And Lon says that that is the night that Cersei's conceived a child. <laughs> How he knows this. Is anyone's guess? I only have snarky responses, so don't ask me. But later he brings her outside and the hill is covered in flowers, like the ones that were on on Maya's pyre, just from overnight. And Lon says, (laughs) maybe we didn't make a warrior. We made a a daughter. We made a princess because of the flowers. Yeah. It's like I would hope I would hope you wouldn't create flowers if it was a warrior instead of a <laughs> daughter. I totally think she should. Uh, 
she tells Lon that she loves him and he says he loves her back and life goes on. Lon tells her one day that he's leaving on a raid and he won't return for five days. Cersei is mad because she does not want him to cheat on her. She doesn't want him to have sex with the Zacto. She doesn't want him to rape, you know, women. Yeah, she wants to go along because Deandra has let her know that that's why she and her husband were having so much sex was because she's like, no, no, I don't want my husband to go off and rape other women. So basically, I fuck his brains out. Mm-hmm. And she's so mad. You know, she tells him, no, you can't do that. I need to go with you so I can take care of you, you know, in that way. And Lon is like, husbands and wives do not speak of this ever. And she says, you come back smelling of anything other than dirt, sweat, and blood. And I get the first clue. You've taken a woman who's not me. We're done and I'll leave you. And he stares at her. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's just staring her down and she starts crying and she says, it will tear me apart knowing that you've cheated on me will tear me apart. But you're Dax and you're a warrior. So obviously you're free to do as you will. (laughs) She understands the culture. Finally. And he says, you will not leave me. (laughs) He goes, he's stuck on her saying she'll leave him. He's like, you'll not leave me. You'll never leave me. Little creepy there, buddy. And to make that so, I will... I will never take another woman except for you. But this is the one last concession I'm going to make for you and for your culture. You know, he says, you're not of my people and you behave in ways that are strange to me. Yet you seem not to understand that this is true. But never have I asked you to change who you are. And he says that her doing this is asking him to change who he is, basically. And she has to accept him as he is. I don't know if that's a valid argument on his part. He has asked her to change who she is. It's just he's not asking. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, he expects her to assimilate. Yeah, that's not asking. He's just like, no, no, I'm commanding you to do this by the sheer force of will and domination and everything else. But at any rate, he promises he will never have sex with another woman except her. And this is his final concession to her. Which he holds to that promise, as far as we know. Yeah, he does. (sighs) And so he goes off to raid and and do his thing. And meanwhile, what does Cersei do? She goes shopping with her her posse of girls. She gets some things for, for her girls that attend her. A.K.A. her slaves. Yes, she gets some bangles for them. Yes, and one of them, the the leader of her of her girls, her slaves, is named Titru, and Titru is very weird about accepting a gift from Cersei. And this is sort of something that Ashley does a lot of. She creates a lot of characters that are basically names. Yeah. I mean, you're told their characteristics, but they don't actually do do a lot (laughs) for one of the few instances where any of her girls have any sort of character development uh titru seems very awkward about accepting the bangles like at first she's kind of like no no i don't i don't want it please don't and cersei insists Mm -hmm. and then later that day they go back to her tent 
Um, Bane drops her off with Xanon, who's now going to be her guard. Bane gets his break or whatever. Xanon says to Bane, don't go very far. And Cersei says, is there something wrong? And Xanon says, I don't know, but my instincts tell me something isn't right. Yeah, his little spidey senses are tingling. And I think about that time Cersei noticed that Titru has left her dagger out, the one that Botan gave her. So she's also sort of feeling like, uh-oh, something is up. Yeah, on the table, there's the dagger, the fabric that she bought specially for Titru, and the bangle she bought for Titru. And she stares at the table and screams. She grabs the dagger and screams for Xanon, but knives start ripping through the sides of the tent. She's attacked. And she fights. She does. And she manages to kill, she says one and a half guys, <laughs> but basically she kills one guy outright and then gives a mortal wound to another guy who then one of her guards finishes off. Yeah, she's holding her own. Um, her tiger, her tiger also fights and kills one of the guys. Her guards save her. Go ghost. All of a sudden they hear Lan and his other men coming back from the raid and Lan jumps off his horse while it's still running and grabs her and starts looking her over because she's covered in blood and he's checking her to see if she's injured and she tells him she's not, but he just doesn't believe it. And then he declares war on Maru because that's where Titru's from. He thinks that, that there's a plot from Maru. His cursory assessment of the situation is indeed correct. Yes. <laughs> And he has a great speech where he says, The blood of our enemy stains the gold of my queen. They closed in on her in my cham, shattering the safety I provide her and spilling the blood of our brother. In return, we will create rivers of Maru blood. The stone of our earth will weep with it and we will know vengeance. Grr. Everyone is super incensed and, you know, ready to go to war with Maru. And Lon orders that the tent get burned down and they create a new tent <laughs> yes this one was kind of torn to shreds so yeah it might be better to go with a different sham anyway <laughs> and then Titru was captured and she gets brought before them she says to cersei you should not have been kind to me yeah and then she gets executed she does at the moment of her decapitation which i think lon himself does there's a flash of lightning so it's like she sort of controls it but not really yeah it's it's when she's feeling intense intensely yes but can't she make herself feel intensely so then she can have access to her magic is that is that <laughs> is that asking too too much <laughs> later she's all clean in her smaller tent as they're creating a new big tent and she's relaxing and the incense that Tichu had bought for her is burning and this just makes her sad because she doesn't understand. You know, she was kind to Tichu. Tichu betrayed her but then warned her as well because she interprets the knife being left out with Tichu's belongings as, as a warning. Yeah, which I think she's right. It's right to interpret it that way. And when she's talking with, I think it's Jaconda another one of her girls yes jaconda quickly turns on t true and is like no no she doesn't exist anymore 
ultimately what happened to her was too good for her. Yeah, and Jaconda, she was born a slave, mm -hmm. and she gives a little bit of backstory about the other slaves that are Circe's, and she talks about like how, you know, we have it good with you. You know, it, it's almost like apologetics for slavery. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also, you can tell that they care about Cersei and Cersei cares about them. So they do have, they have a relationship where they are, they're more like servant level than slave level to Cersei, I guess. Yeah. Not that that makes it better. <laughs> it, it's such a tricky, tricky thing to, to try to also ascertain as to what ashley's intent was like what she was trying to convey yeah oh and then that night lon says that the tiger can now sleep in their bed because she sprung to cersei's <laughs> aid yay upgrade for ghost lon comforts her while she deals with the fact that she killed people and he tells her you did the right thing and he's basically proud of her because she's a warrior. Yeah. Um, six weeks go by and it is confirmed that Cersei is pregnant <laughs> and she has horrible morning sickness. And Lon doesn't like this because it in interferes with his fucking. Because now he can only have sex with her at night instead of morning and night. Yeah, poor buddy. <laughs> Lon tells her another Korwakian custom that the man, the father is there to catch the baby as it is born so that the first touch the baby knows is that of his father in order to develop that connection that is already developed with the baby and the mother and he's worried because he's going to war and he wants to make sure he's home to create that connection with the baby which is nice that he he wants to be there they arrive at the city Korwan and they go to Lon's house, which is run by a slave who's been there since Lon's parents. And before Lon leaves to go off and, and war, he leaves 500 warriors to guard Cersei. Yes. Who competed from 15,000 for the position? Yes. This is a desirable position. So 15,000 warriors competed to be Cersei's personal guard. 501, and now they wear gold paint to signify that they're her personal guard. And before he leaves, she tells him that she loves him more than her world. So in her way, she's telling him what she gave up. He doesn't interpret it that way. Yeah, because she hasn't told him. And even if she did, I don't think he'd believe her. So I don't really... I can understand why she doesn't say it. So some time goes by... She gets summoned by Bane, one of the guards, and says, you need to come with us. And she gets all queened up and taken to a meeting between Lon and King Balder of Middleland. Yeah, she knows something up because she can see the penance from the visiting army, Balder's army. And she's like, wait a minute, the Korwak don't use penance. <laughs> Balder knows her, or he thinks he does, and reveals that, you know, he's had Cersei since she was a child of six and really, quote, had her ever since she was 14 <gasps> as his personal enchantress and sex toy, basically. It's just, it's gross. So gross. 
Cersei asserts she does not know him at all because she doesn't. Lon says nothing because he's in king mode. And Balder tells Lon that he needs to pay him some recompense for stealing his enchantress and wants like all this gold and jewels and all sorts of things. And for what he did to Jeffrey because he cut out Jeffrey's tongue. Jeffrey was a spy for Balder. Lon is having none of it. And he's like, um, excuse you, I am the king. You are in my land, not your land. And basically what I say goes. Balder says, this woman who sits beside you belongs to me. And Lon says, my golden queen does not know you. How can she belong to you? They get into this. I don't even know if it's an argument because it's more like Balder is like screaming at him. And Lon is just like, um, no. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is honestly kind of cool. Yeah, that is a moment in which he's cool. Balder threatens him with with war. He's like, I know you're preparing this war on Maru. You have men missing from your city. I have men here who's going to take it down. And Lon's like, well, actually, what you don't know is I have an alliance with this other country and they all lined up behind you. So you're at our mercy. Exactly. Before Before Cersei even came up here, the Keenhawk warriors already dispatched all of his archers. Yeah. He's like, you are gotten, man. You can leave and I'll let you leave with your life. And that's being generous. Yeah, that's his mic drop moment. And then he orders Cersei taken back to her room and locked in alone with no one. Yeah, as soon as everybody's gone or when they leave, all of a sudden Lon's like, and bye, Cersei. She's freaking out. She's realized after this altercation with Balder that she must be in a parallel universe. And this was some other Cersei that this happened to. Lon comes in and tells her what happened with Joffrey, what happened with Balder, and all the stuff. You know, he tells her the backstory of the other Cersei that he learned. And he's referring to the other Cersei as she, not you. And so Cersei realizes that Lon also knows that she isn't that person. Mm -hmm. Like you wonder maybe if he just thinks that they're really similar looking, maybe Balder's confused. But he knows that, that whoever Balder thinks she is, she's not. She starts to say something and he silences her and says, you're not her. I don't know what you are. Yeah, I don't understand why it turns into that. And he basically calls her a changeling. He says that she used basically her magical pussy <laughs> to keep him enchanted and cause him to sire a child on her. And he doesn't even know what is in her this womb. so confusing. And he's very, very suspicious. And she starts to tell him the truth. She says, I'm not of this world. And he says, I'm aware of that. Do you take this shape from another? What is your true form? And she says, this is who I am. I woke up in the pen with the other woman from the hunt after I went to bed in Seattle. And Lon says, Seattle doesn't even exist. And she says, it exists in my world. And she explains some things about her world, all the things that marked her as different and, and weird. She says... This place is strange to me, but I endured it, got over it, adapted, and I fell in love with you. And Lon says, do not ever speak those words to me again unless you wish to feel the back of my hand. <sighs> she starts realizing that 
she's given him everything and taken everything on faith and just run with it. And this is, this is the time that he could prove to her that he trusts her and loves her and he is not proving it. He's spectacularly not proving it because, I mean, since the moment where he calls her a changeling, rain has started to fall. Like you can, you know how sad she is because she loves him. And so he does not have any faith in her. He's basically calling her a creature. She says to him, right here, right now, what you're feeling, I felt it too. And it was probably a hundred times worse than what you're feeling now, Lon. Because in my world, they do not hunt women and rape them. In my world, if you do that, you go to jail for a long, long time. Everything was different. Your clothes, your language, the landscape, your homes, food, furniture, shopping. I don't mean a little different, like warriors wear hides up north. They wear armor. I mean a lot different. And he's glaring at her. She tells him how terrified she was. She gives him her her theory that she switched places with the other Cersei. And he says, I can't know this is true from just your words. And she says, I don't even know if it's true. All I know is that I'm here and she's not. And he says, but you still wield this incredible power. And he's referring to the rain. And she says, if you can't tell, it happens when I'm feeling stuff. She says, I gave up a world for you. And she starts telling him the truth about her dad. And she says, I gave up my world for you, Lon. I sat at your side through things people in my world would find loathsome. And I did it with my head held high. I even felt pride that I could endure, that I could be a good queen to you. And it just goes on and on. And she basically says, if you don't come here right now and put your arms around me, I will stop at nothing to find my way back home. And he says he's not going to come to her until after the baby is delivered and they find out what the baby is. Yeah, it's a really kind of disgusting moment. And he tells her that if the baby is born and it's a warrior or a golden girl, then he'll have her back. And she says, no, you won't. Yeah. And when he does take her back, he basically just wants to keep her for having more babies. Like the impression is she won't go back to being like a proper queen. And then... He tells her that she needs to take care of herself and everyone around her has orders to make sure that she doesn't harm the baby. And then he leaves to go to war. She curls up in a corner and starts crying and just wants to go home. She's whispering, take me home, take me home, take me home. And then suddenly the rain stops. Yeah, and Lon, who is sleeping in bed elsewhere in in the house, hears the rain stop and it's like he knows So he jumps out of bed and goes into her room only to find out that she's not there. Yeah. And so he has everyone search everything to see if she somehow jumped out the window to see if she ran away and no one can find anything about her. And she wakes up to herself (laughs) in her own world in Seattle. And the other Cersei is there with her father. And the other Cersei has explained things to her father in all this time that Cersei's been gone. And they've formed a close relationship and have been working to get her back. But she was able to somehow send herself back before they were able to meet with the witch to have her send Cersei back home. You find out later, and I'm not sure if this is true of all magics, because Valentine from the first book, or Valentina, I'm not sure, because she manages to send herself. Maybe she gets somebody else to do it. But apparently after expending that amount of magical energy, Cersei can't do it again for 10 years. So she's basically stuck here. 
With Valentine, I get the impression that she is just super uber powerful. That's probably true. So she's in a class by herself. But the average witch or magical user does not have that wealth of power. To be fair, Valentine's cool, so I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) So she's home, but she's broken inside. Five months pass, and she's settled back at home. She's pregnant. She's keeping the baby, but she's refused to know anything about it. Like, she goes to the doctor and everything, but she won't even look at the ultrasound. She doesn't want to hear anything about it. And she's back at work at her pop's shop. The other Cersei has decided she's going to move to New Orleans. And so they're having a party, like a going away party. And before they go to the party, Cersei and her father um, have a conversation about his love for her mother. And how he can see the same look in Cersei's eyes. Because that's what he's been feeling the whole time that ever since her mother died. And he realizes she's she still loves the other guy and he tells her that you know if if you want you can go back we'll go to the witch and we'll send you back and she says no she doesn't want to go back because she's stuck by lawn through everything and he had one one trial and he didn't believe in her mm-hmm Which, to be fair, he never really believed in her about things. Because she's like, I'll bake in the sun. And he's like, no. Yeah, not really. So they're at the party. It looks like everything is melting. And then it goes black. And then all of a sudden, Cersei is in the middle of a tent. And a woman wearing a sarong around her neck falls in a faint. And she sees Lon. And she realizes that this woman was a magic woman that Lon found to bring her back. Yep, no escape for her. Lon grabs her and takes her back to their house. And six weeks pass. She's uber pregnant. Lon, every morning, cuddles with her and looks in her eyes to see if he can see her spirit. But he cannot see her spirit in her eyes anymore. Yeah, she's turned away her girl posse that has come over to spend time with her. She basically just shuts down. Cersei doesn't know at what point Lon started to believe her. And she's just not ready to or willing to forgive him or go back to the way things were. She suspects and she hopes that her dad is working with the witch that he had found to bring her back home. And she even tells Lon this. And he says that the spell cast to send her back here to Korwak tethered her to the world and she's never going back. And (laughs) creepily, it anchors her to him so she can't escape. He would sense where she is and be able to seek her out. And she says, you didn't. And he says, I fucking did. You promised never to leave me and you left me. I've seen to it. It will not fucking happen again. He's got some serious abandonment issues and some insecurity that is not dealt with in this story. And to her credit, Cersei says, that's like stalker psycho. Yep. Yep, it is. And Lon says, I have no idea what that means, but I do not care. (laughs) So Lon orders that she has to accept the warrior wives when they come to visit. Yes. So... 
that enables Deandra and the eunuch to come visit her. Yes, and the eunuch has some important things to say because he tells her that right after the king discovered she was missing, he started this plan to bring her back. And so Cersei realizes it wasn't like at one point in the five months that she was gone, the king decided, oh, well, I've been at war, (laughs) but I kind of miss her or whatever. Or maybe I believe her or whatever. It was right then. I'm not sure why this necessarily makes her feel better, though. I think, and her father says this too, but I think it's it's that she, she and he had that horrible, mm. horrible conversation and he breaks her spirit and she goes home. But meanwhile, he's realizing, like, he's getting over his anger and his suspicion and everything. And he's realizing, you know, that was pretty dumb of me, too. Yeah, he's had time to think. And she didn't give him the chance. She didn't give him the chance to think before she magicked herself away. She didn't control this. Right. She didn't control it. I don't think. Yet she's sort of getting treated like she had control over it the whole time. I think it's a surprise to her when she goes back. Because until this point... Every time she's wanted to go back home or expected that she would, she never does. It just so happens that it happens now. The eunuch also tells her about Finny from the first book and that Finny, the fact that Finny was also from her world helped prove to Lon and everyone that she was who she said she was. Surprise, she didn't lie. (laughs) She makes peace with her girls and with her friends but she does not make peace with Lon. Time passes, she goes into labor. Lon is there with her, ready to catch the child. She's about ready to give up. It's a hard labor, and she's had no pain medication, no nothing, and she's tired. She's not able to push anymore. And Lon basically challenges her because the healer wants to cut her open, and Lon realizes this is basically a death sentence to Cersei. Mm-hmm. And he tells her she has to push and Cersei's spirit rises up a bit in her eyes. She pushes and births both a boy and a girl. And the boy has black hair like daddy and the girl has gold hair like mommy. Yes. And Lon instantly names the boy Tunin and Cersei is able to, by the grace of Lon, name her Isis. But Cersei still does not have that important conversation with Lon that she has forgiven him. I don't think she has. I don't know. Like, once she comes back, she sort of seems like she's a bit on autopilot, you know, where it's just like, this is this is the Cersei that Lon kind of trained her to be. Lon announces the birth of the children to his kingdom. Everyone's thrilled. There's some... Hints that Lon is going to be a super doting dad to the daughter and teach his son the same toxic masculinity (laughs) ways that he's learned. Six weeks pass, and while Lon is there with them and helps take care of his family and is still doing his king stuff, Cersei avoids him completely as much as possible. Yeah, she goes out shopping with her girl posse and the babies, of course. And Deandra kind of pulls her aside and is chiding Cersei a little bit, going, you haven't accepted Lon back. You need to accept him. Hint it, fuck him. Yeah, Deandra, again, apologizes 
forlorn <laughs> basically saying if you don't accept lon back if you don't let him know that you and he are are, are good again he's going to eventually take it out on someone innocent and that's what convinces cersei to have that conversation with lon although cersei calls herself stupid and a procrastinator because she's already forgiven him and has just been putting off having this hard conversation. Yeah, Cersei, Cersei kind of needs some time with a therapist. And also what happened, so, oh wait, I think, is it when she's out shopping that Lon sends for her because a witch has arrived? Yes. Yes, a witch has arrived, has a message for Cersei that's from Cersei's father, and it's in... Valyrian not in Corwalk and she recites it from memory it becomes clear that Lon has already heard this message and then allowed <laughs> Cersei to hear it yes but the message part of it says that asshole ain't treating you right you tell whoever gives you this message and we'll move heaven and earth to find a way to bring you home and Lon turns to her and says, I assume I know what asshole means. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeds to drag her up to the bedroom. <sighs> yeah, he rushes her up to the bedroom and he tells her that he's been abstinent for eight months because he promised her he would never have sex with another woman, only her. And he will not take her by force because he knows she'll use it as a reason to never forgive him. And he knows now from what her father said that she never will forgive him she can see in his eyes that he's admitting defeat he's giving up this battle and she tells him that she does forgive him and they make up and she says i'm an idiot and i lead with my heart and do stupid shit all the freaking time and i got so upset because i loved you so much it hurt so badly what you said that i did it again i acted before i thought i followed my heart which hurt and I did something really freaking stupid. So, okay, Pop called you an asshole because he knows things didn't start too great. But clue in, Lon. He left me here. He knows I love you and he wants me to be happy. <laughs> so, again, she invalidates her feelings, calls herself stupid. And how dare she lead with her heart instead of thinking. Lon kisses her and then they start getting intimate and then he says i will try to be gentle but since i took my first at the age of 12 i have never waited this long and mm -hmm. she's just like what 12 but they have sex it's amazing so she sends a message back to her dad saying she's happy he has twin grandchildren their names are tunin and isis and she's happy and everything's okay. And please don't call Lon an asshole again. He doesn't like it. <laughs> yes. And hopefully they can continue sending messages. And then the story ends with her dad looking at a picture of her mom and saying she's happy. Yay, the end. <laughs> and that's the end. So, are you happy for their happy? Uh, I have so many things floating around in my head with this story. Yeah, no, I think, in all honesty, we never get Cersei back. You know, at some point she leaves and she really doesn't come back. So I don't think them being happy is really Cersei and Lon. I think he has conditioned and trained her 
mm. to just go along with whatever it is that he wants her to go along with. And so she does, but I don't think, I don't think it's her. I think it is the shell of Cersei. So you don't think they earned their happily ever after? No, I think Lon sort of worked for it and he won it, which I guess could be thought of as earning it, but it doesn't feel deserved. What do you think? As much as I enjoyed reading this story, it's really hard to be happy when the heroine has had all of her choices taken away. And while Cersei is a very strong character and she survives, she doesn't get to make any choices. And so it's hard to understand why she's happy. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think she just lay down, lays down and accepts it. I don't think, mm -hmm. I don't think it's true happiness. I don't buy into that. What about rating them from awesome to awful? <laughs> How about Cersei? Ugh. It's unfortunate because I do think she has strength as a character when it comes to her endurance and her ability to withstand, but I wouldn't call her awesome. And I don't think she's awful. To, and I hate that I wrote this because I don't really know how, how accurate it really is, but it's the first word that came to mind, which is I just kind of think she's pitiful. But I don't, mm -hmm. in her situation where she has zero resources and she has a writer that has not given her any tools or anything to get herself either out of the situation or improve her quality of life or anything. She's just been left to accept her lot in life and that's it. What about you? I think she's a badass. But I feel sorry for her. Yeah. And I wouldn't call her awesome. I wouldn't call her awful. I just feel sad for her. I agree with you. She's a pitiful character. Yeah. I mean, she fights the guys when they show up to attack her sham and either, I don't know, kill her, cart her off, whatever it is they're intending to do. She is. She, she has a warrior spirit. That is true. But it is not allowed to manifest hardly at all. Not to her benefit. No. She's a victim of her circumstances and she's learned to live with those circumstances and she feels like she's happy and in love, but I don't know if it's true. What about Lon? Awesome or awful? Oh, I put so fucking awful. <laughs> and that's the thing is I think that's, you have Dortak, which they are not the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's to make Lon look better because it's like, oh yes. <laughs> It's like, you think she's getting abused, but trust me, it can be worse. <laughs> Which is like, on one hand, it's like, that's true. Oh, it could be so much worse. But that doesn't, but that doesn't make what Cersei's experiencing good. No. It just makes it less shitty. Right. So, yeah, I don't know what sort of special rating from hell that Dortak gets. Because I don't feel the scale allows for it. <laughs> it's so much worse than awful. But yeah, no, I put so fucking awful. I, I mean, you know this. I, I don't, I don't like Lon. I, I'm not his biggest fan. No. I tried no. really, really hard not to, I don't know, be overly unfair. Mm. But what about you? Is he awesome? Is he awful? What is he? For me, it was kind of hard for me to rate him because he's not your, quote, typical romance hero, unquote. Um, he does some pretty horrible things that 
I feel shouldn't belong in a romance story, like raping the heroine, striking her. But from a pure story perspective, if I take this out of the romance genre and just look at it as like a fantasy adventure type story, I actually kind of like him. He's an (laughs) asshole. He mistreats Cersei for sure. But he's a very interesting character. And I really liked the the just that it was a completely alien culture, just completely different. And the idea of someone being thrust into that and having to deal with it, it was interesting. And I think that that he was a good character. He was definitely three-dimensional. So I think for a romance hero, he's awful. <laughs> but for a fantasy adventure character, he's pretty cool, but not nice. <laughs> no, not nice. What about the villain in this story? <laughs> I know you touched on Dortak. Awesome <laughs> or awful? Let's see. I have quite the list of villains. Let me look at them. Let me appraise them. Yes. So I think I think we'll we'll work up. And so we'll start with Titru, who had some villainy villainous leanings. You know, yes. she was a better sneak than Jeffrey was, who was also a bit villainous. And so I don't know. I wouldn't put Titro in the either awesome or awful. I just put, I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like there aren't enough of either Titro or Jeffrey to really put them on the scale. I just feel like they get honorable men. I feel sorry for Titro. Yeah. Because I feel she's also a victim of circumstances. I don't know that she was forced to betray Cersei, but I kind of suspect she was because she's a woman. That's true. I hadn't considered that. That's true. And she does seem to feel bad about it. Yeah, she expresses remorse. And she does what's in her power to protect Cersei. Yeah, as limited as that is. Mm-hmm. But that just goes to show how how much power she doesn't have. Right. So Jeffrey, I feel like it was probably appropriate that he got his tongue cut out. <laughs> so I'm okay with it. Um, Balder. Ew. I put awful... Because he's terrible. He raped a 14 year old. There's other stuff, but I mean, I feel like that's enough to get on that list. <laughs> Sufficient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then there's Dortok, who, like I said, he needs a rating beyond awful. And I don't know what that is. Beyond even so fucking awful. It, I don't, I honestly don't know. But even those, those ones that I mentioned, particularly Jeffrey Balder and Dortok, they're really not the constant antagonist for her. I think it's Lon. He is constantly, him and his culture are constantly in opposition with her. Yes. And his inability to compromise just puts her in this position where she has to back down to survive. So I put him as awful as well. <laughs> I don't like him. Yeah. I mostly talked about Dortak in my notes. I put that he's terrible, horrible, awful, and disgusting, and extremely hateable. I kind of have given some thought as to why he's such an asshole, and it's hard to... Th- because because it's mentioned throughout the story that he's a jerk anyway, he's always been a jerk, but it's hard to understand why he's got so much hatred towards Cersei. He tries to capture her as his wife, and then he's upset that he didn't and the way lon took her away is that why he acted out would he how would he have treated her if he had actually won her yeah i don't know i don't know if all of that's really not explained and i think that's 
I think that's sort of to the detriment of the Dortok character. Yeah. Is that there isn't really an explanation for why he's as god fucking awful as he is. Yeah. He's he's horrible. He's a horrible, horrible, evil person. Yeah, there's but there's no reason for it. Like, is it just because he felt entitled and Lon took that away? And he can't go after Lon because Dax and Warrior, so he targets Cersei instead. Like, that's the one he's, a quote-unquote, allowed to do that? Or is there something else that happened before the story started? But we don't get to know what that is. The way his character is revealed to us in the story, it's more like he's, he's a constant reminder for Cersei how bad things can be there. Yeah. And how powerless she is. Because every time he does something terrible and horrible, she tries to stop it or have Lon stop it and is just unsuccessful. Yeah, it's it's fighting it and she just can't do that. So it's, it's almost not... like he's a personification of the horribleness that is in their culture. Yeah, that's that's accurate. Or at least at least the horribleness that we're aware of, because what goes on in the cham stays in the cham. True. <laughs> Unless you're door talk, then it's public knowledge. Ugh. So on a scale of one to five, how did you rate this book? Oh, you know this is coming. It's a one. <laughs> <laughs> I- I'm not surprising you at all with this. Not that that's the goal. No. But no, I- I- I've read this book twice now. <laughs> I don't intend to ever read it again. I think it was probably a two before then and then just having to read it again. I just saw so much more that I didn't want to see. And I, uh, because it is listed under romance, I'm rating it by romance standards and not another genre. And I just think as a romance, it's, I didn't enjoy it. I disliked so many things. And I, I, I'm trying to be fair. And the odd thing is that even though I'm rating this book a one, I think it is a better book than the previous book in the series, Wildest Dreams. I agree that it's a better book. So I think it's a better book. I just think when I'm holding it up to the romance standards, I just, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a subgenre in romance that this book would find a home in. I, I have no idea. Anyway, what about you? What about your rating? So I agree with you that this isn't really a romance book the way I would classify romance. It had romancy tropes, but it was not really a romance and I did deviate though because I rated it based on how much I enjoyed the book not how well it fulfilled the genre in addition and so I rated it four stars oh wow because I did really I did really enjoy the book it had terrible horrible things happen in it um it was it had horrible people in it I think the author did a wonderful job at bringing this world to life I think she really pulled out all the stops on this one and it felt like I was in a completely different world and for that I rate it four stars yay so Erica do you feel romance no (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's the question that (laughs) I'm starting to feel that I never feel romanced unfortunately um we need to read different books I guess but while I did really thoroughly enjoy the story, the story was not what I feel is a romance, and I didn't feel romanced. Although some of the sex was hot. It did have hot sex scenes. 
Although I must admit that the second time I listened to it, I full on fast forwarded through them. <laughs> I was just like, I've already dealt with this. Bye. Did you feel romance? No, I feel gross. <laughs> All this book made me feel was sad. Sad for Cersei and her predicament in life. Not romanced. Yes. I feel like she was worn down and I had to get worn down with her. Yeah. You know, it's like you look at her, she's like a queen and, and all this. It's like, wouldn't you think she has everything? Which maybe she does. The only thing she doesn't have is her freedom. And it's just sad. Yes. She has everything that, that Lon says that she can have, which is nice. Yes, because he is her king. So do you feel like your romance ticked off? I think in a way, because the hero, Lon, didn't behave the way that I expect even from an alpha asshole type hero, he really went overboard with the horribleness, you know, and not to justify rape because I don't feel it is justified. It is understandable that the way he takes her at the first part of the story is well within the bounds of his culture. But as I said before, He's been trained since like the age of five to be in control and yet he backhands her mm -hmm. so hard that she sees stars. Yeah. He's not in control. At that point, he's turned into an abuser. He continues that lack of control later when Balder shows up and then when they get back, he locks her in a room and says, you might be a changeling, not like... This could be mistaken identity. Nothing rational occurs to him. It's like you're either Cersei or you're a monster. There's no middle ground, which is just so confusing yes. for me. I I was genuinely confused when that happened. Did you feel romantic off? I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm romantic off. It's more, I don't even know if it's disappointed, but... Conflicted? Conflicted, maybe, maybe misled, because I, I, I don't feel like it's a romance. I don't feel like... It fits that or there needs to be some other sort of genre that a, a book like this could fit in. But I don't know. I don't know if it would even fall in under the massive umbrella of fantasy. What do you think? I kind of classify it in my head as a fantasy adventure story. Okay. Um, I've read other fantasy adventure stories that have horrible, horrible things happen. Often it's not so much of a sexual nature at least that being the primary form of violence. Um, I think that the reason it was in this story is because it was a, quote, romance. Mm -hmm. So even the violence was of a sexual nature. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's kind of my thought. No, that seems right. I think, I mean, there are plenty of adventure fantasy type stories where torture happens and rape happens and... Evil people are evil as Dortak or worse. Yeah. You know, and I think this book fits neatly in there, except that it has those romance tropes of the, of what I think is supposed to be a happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. Because in your standard adventure story, fantasy adventure story, it isn't always happily ever after. Usually it's satisfying or... It feels complete, but it's not always happy. And in this story, all these terrible things happen, and yet we're supposed to feel like it's all wrapped up and tied with a red bow at the end. And I just don't know that that was successful. Um, that was successfully written. Yeah, it certainly didn't feel successful for me. But 
I don't know. I wonder how successful she was hoping it would be in that way. Like, I wonder what Ashley's intent was. It's hard to know. It is. I know it is. So, what else are you reading? Well, I feel like I need a mental palate cleanser. So, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going back to the Kristen Painter series. Oh, yes. And reading the, because I'm actually almost done with the Nocturne Falls books. <laughs> Big surprise. I'm on The Werewolf Dates the Deputy. And so, oh, okay. yeah, so we have Deputy Jenna Blythe, who we've met actually earlier in the series a couple of times, first time being in Vampire Mail Order Bride. And she's supposed to work with Titus Moreau, the sheriff's brother. Oh. And unsurprisingly, they don't get along because they think the other person just can't do the job right. <laughs> I enjoy a good haters to lovers romance. Those are fun. It is. And it's, it's a nice haters to lovers. It's not where you're just like, oh my gosh, these people need to be on separate planets. You know, it's it's a realistic kind of uh, friction, which Painter's really good with a couple chemistry. At any rate, so yeah, what happens early on in the story is Jenna and Titus respond to a call at a house and they go in to investigate and there's an explosion of magic. And from that explosion of magic, Ooh. it forces them to actually stay close together and hijinks will ensue. So yes, I need the charm of Nocturne Falls right now. <laughs> <laughs> That is a good series. I've read, I think I'm on book six of that series. Yeah, I'm, I'm so enjoying that that series. So I, I, I sort of need that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I, I'm not going to, yeah. I, I just, I can't go on to, to another book like this. I need to break up the, break that up. At any rate. So yeah. Erica, what are you reading? So for me, I want to stay in dark, murky, horrible land. <laughs> And I'm reading um, The Dead X, which is a thriller by Jane Corey. Ooh. And in this story, we meet Vicky, who learns that her ex-husband has gone missing and she is implicated in his disappearance. Ooh. Interesting. But she has an unreliable memory <gasps> and she's not 100% sure she's innocent. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So far, so good. I'm enjoying Yay. it. I know at the time of recording this, we're sort of almost in the middle of October for Halloween. So yes. I think that's a perfect, perfect time to be reading stories like that. I think after... Yes, I do enjoy a good thriller. I think after the Werewolf Days of Deputy, I'm going to get into more Halloween fare. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for today. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Join us next time when we discuss Fantastical by Kristen Ashley, because we're gluttons for punishment. Bye! Bye. <laughs>